Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is episode 139, and it is the 12th of December. Loaded show. Mm-hmm. Special theme show, I mm-hmm. want to say. Yep, so, uh, the IPA got the filming rights to broadcast the rise of Jordan Peterson in Australia. So, Pete and I went to a Generation Liberty event. There's also been a members event. Been, we've had a few around Australia. Uh, and so, for this show, we talked to Maz Gideri, who is one of the directors. I think mm-hmm. he's the producer of the movie. We're talking to Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter about her reflections on the movie, a bit of uh, her life as Jordan Peterson got so famous, and a lot of her work with The Lion Diet. And we're also going to be talking to our roving reporter, I think he is now, mm. Adam Schleck, who was at the Generation Liberty event of the rise of Jordan Peterson. And uh, he spoke to a lot of people that were there. Mm. And then we speak to Adam about what we thought about the film. So a lot of Jordan Peterson. If you're a fan of Jordan Peterson, this is a good show for you. That's right. We've got Jordan Peterson's daughter. We've got the filmmaker. Yep. And we've got Adam. And we've got Adam. So the three people that are closest to Jordan Peterson in the last go. couple of years of his life. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll get into what we thought about the movie. But, yeah, definitely go out and download it. And thank you to the filmmaker because we're uh, giving us the broadcast right. But before we get into it, and we've got a lot of stuff that we're looking forward to in the show, we've got a lot of British election, we've got a lot of US election. Our flags are at half-master day. It's a sad day. It's a sad week. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be sad coming up to Christmas, but at the end of the year, there's a lot of things that come to an end, and one of them, uh, saw if we can cue the music. Thank you. Uh, One of them is the end of Tony Jones as host of Q&A. Well, Jay, it's been a great 12 years. We've You're not just going to let that moment sit for a little bit? Just breathe that in. Tony Jones is no longer the host of Q&A. I'm so sad. <laughs> anyway, sorry. To cut no, you that's right you are. I mean, you've always had a real moment, uh, a real sort of sense of history, James. Yeah. And we've had a lot of fun with Tony Jones over the last 12 years. We wish him the best yep. of luck in his retirement. Uh, he's been replaced by Hamish McDonald, as mm-hmm. we talked about. Now, as I said, we've had a lot of fun with him over the years. We've both picked out our favourite moments. Oh, I was going to say, do we want to, just for one last time, play the Q&A clap? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. let's do that. So for new listeners of the show, we used to do this a fair bit, and we should, br- we should bring it back as a memory of Tony Jones. But when someone gave like a, you know, just like knee-jerk, soft, uh, you know, usually left-wing opinion, but just the kind of stuff that would get the Q&A audience absolutely fired up mm. when it actually doesn't mean anything, we used to play this sound effect. Can I just... Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we should bring that back. We should bring it back. It's still one of the best things you've ever done. In a, in a pretty weak field, it yeah. must be said. But I've done two good things. That was one of them. That, putting that sound effect together was good, yeah. Now, yeah. look, we should bring that back. Uh, so, favourite memories? Yeah. Did you want to share your one first? I'll go first. Now, I was going to do Mona Altahawi telling straight men to become more bisexual. But he wasn't there. Which he did a few weeks ago. But unfortunately, he wasn't there. Yeah. So... Uh, what was her name? Frank Kelly was on that night in mm-hmm. a performance that might have cost her the gig, but I digress. Uh, my favourite moment... It wouldn't have helped. It wouldn't have wouldn't helped. Have my favourite moment was back in 2014 when student going protesters... Right back. Yeah, going right back, mate. I'm pretty old. Uh, uh, when student protesters from some federal student union, which I don't really know, uh, pro- did a protest on live telly, so saw roll the tape. <laughs> Now that is Tony Jones regretting the fact that the ABC hasn't been privatised and he can't throw it to an advertisement. Yeah, uh, or, or throw something at them. And I was just the way, guys. <laughs> that was being thought of. You're doing yourself no favours. Yeah. And of course, with shout people, out to John Roscombe. People who are watching on, on 
YouTube will say John Oscombe. Yes. Uh, how did that protest work out for them? I have absolutely no idea how it worked out, James, but uh, I don't think it went that well. I don't think so either. Uh, my favourite moment uh, comes quite recently. So Tony Jones, I mean, you know, he's stepping down in retirement, but there is the sort of idea that he was pushed uh, a Ooh. little bit. Controversy. And they wanted to inject some youth in the area. Uh, and Tony's been relatively silent on this issue, except for one slip-up at the end of uh, the Q&A. It was like a student week. We had one of the students on the show afterwards, Willoughby Duff. Yeah. Uh, and just at the end of the youth thing, this is how Tony Jones signed out the show. Um, we're going to have to leave it there. And I might say um, for the future Q&A hosts, tank tops and tattoos are going to be the thing. So um, if you're not prepared to try that out, just forget it. Now, that is toxic boomerism and I love it. <laughs> Did you admit toxic boomerism? Well, I'm sure someone else has got to it first. That's but... not bad. That's not bad. Uh, yeah, no, he's like behind that screen. He's, he's seething. Yeah. Oh, the, both clips are just an angry man waiting mm. to be unleashed or just to you know, be slightly patronising to someone who disagrees with him politically. Exactly right. Uh, so, yeah, well done in retirement. Hopefully Hamish McDonald uh, gives us what we need in a mm. Q&A host. And we've got a long list of things. We've been over the show. We don't need to go over it again. Maybe I was thinking we should get Tony Jones on the program sometime. I would love that. I would love literally nothing more. So That's my white whale. Write that down. <laughs> write it down. Uh, all right. So let's talk about uh, some stuff that's going on this week. Yep. And the number one thing that, you know, by the time people, most people hear this episode, the British elections will have passed. Mm. So what do we think? Pete, well, talk us it. yeah. So we're going to do some uh, predictions. And as James said, we you know there's still a, still a day to go from our perspective. Anything could happen. Now, I, my question for the British people is, who do you want to lead them? But again, they won't hear it until after. Well, anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. But well, so this is okay. our predict. This is this is me building up. To oh, prediction. okay, right. Yeah. yeah. So we're making our predictions about what's going to happen. Building up to this prediction, British people, who do you want to lead them? This bloke. Now, for those who are listening and not watching, that's Boris driving a bulldozer through a wall, with, and it says on the bulldozer, "Get Brexit done." Yep. Okay. Big sign there. Or and the wall said uh, blockade. Was gridlock. it gridlock? Yep. And or this bloke. Uh, now that is Jeremy Corbyn. Once again, for those listening, not watching, Jeremy Corbyn doing a horrendous impression of pouring a, a cause light. It happened during the week. Uh, it's full of foam. There's no beer on it. He's trying to demonstrate to the British people that this is going to be the food and drink shortages that are going to happen once I take over. Yep. And I, having seen that, having seen the bulldozer, and having seen the cause, my prediction, James, yeah. is that the, the uh, what are they called? Conservatives <laughs> win. <laughs> And they win a clear majority. They don't be a landslide, but they're going to win a clear majority because, yep. you know, at the end of the day, Jeremy Corbyn's a socialist and he praised Hugo Chavez. It was a absolutely terrible poll. Mm. And it was damaging to himself yeah. and damaging to all those who to had the to brand. it. To the brand socialism. <laughs> uh, I am going to take the prediction of the other side. I just reckon there are so many similarities between this last week and the last mm. week of, like, the Democrats versus Republicans in mm. 2016. Like, uh Everyone's really confident. Everyone was really confident yeah, there was going okay. to be a British majority. Uh, then there's this little bit of arrogance. Boris Johnson doesn't do the Andrew Neil interview, which is always close to my heart. Uh, you know, the Conservatives didn't go to the last leaders debate. He, someone gave, like some journalist gave Boris Johnson a photo on his phone of this like kid who was at a hospital mm. and they didn't have a bed, so he lied on. A uh, bunch of like jumpers mm. and private the NHS. Yeah, and then Boris Johnson like just takes a photo, uh, takes a phone and puts it in his pocket rather than looking at it. Mm. Like pretty cocky move. Um, you know, then a few questions start rising. Like there's new polls coming out saying, oh, it might be closer. I just think there's a lot of Hillary Clinton about Boris Johnson right now. I can so hear. I I'm going to take the there won't be a conservative majority. Yeah, and polls aren't as reliable as they used to be. Yes. So how are we going to decide this? What's the what's the bet? So I reckon. Well, it's got to be conservative majority versus the field. The field. Uh, the field. Oh, so you want every other the, possible. I result. want every other. I, again, you like. <laughs> 
even if I take the field, you're still favourite to win well, based on betting markets. Uh, but yeah, any other result other than a conservative majority, I win, mm-hmm. and a conservative majority, you win. Okay, and well, I'm so confident wins. that I don't need I don't need the whole rest of the field. So. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, and the punishment is, I think we agreed on dunce cap, dunce full hat. day of work. Yeah. Follow us on IPA Instagram on Monday to see one of us wear a dunce cap. See one of us wear the dunce cap, and uh, yeah. All right, cool. I'm really uh, confident. All right, uh, let us go to our heroes and villains segment. This yep. is the uh, Grunt the Pig Freedom Snort of the Week, the biggest heroes. <laughs> That is a snort of freedom. So this is Grunt the Pig, basically the pig that uh, was fined by Wangaratta City Council for being a pig, mm. uh, wasn't allowed to walk around in the street. It stood up for freedom and it was such a beautiful cause that uh, Pitt and I decided that anyone that stands up for freedom should be given the Grunt the, fr- Grunt the Pig Freedom Snort. Absolutely Pete, right. Pete, who was your nominee this week? Well, I on the, over the weekend, James, there was an event at the Chifley Research Centre called Towards 2020 Ideas for Labour in Australia, which I'm spewing I missed. But <laughs> apparently, so we had Labour... That is one junk and we wouldn't go to. <laughs> well, they might have free sangers. Anyway, uh, Labour MP Meryl Swanson and Opposition Environmental Spokeswoman Terry Butler made some very good speeches. I'll, I'll quote from it. Meryl Swanson, Labour MP for Patterson, said, we have built our nations off the back... Built our nation, sorry, off the back of coal. She went on to say that the industry would be treated with respect, should be treated with respect, and the resource should never be labelled dirty. Uh, opposition environment spokeswoman Terry Butler made a speech which said, amongst other things, the experience of this change to renewables, where there is a genuine concern for good, secure, well-paid jobs, could potentially replaced with insecure, less well-paid jobs. She went on to call Bob Brown's anti-Adani convoy. She described it. Can't think of a stupider thing. <laughs> And she said, I might be old-fashioned. This is my favourite bit. I might be a bit old-fashioned as a lefty, but I'm pretty much a materialist. I got into politics because of the effect of politics on the material conditions of our lives. Now, sorry if I just forgot the names there. Terry Butler and Meryl Swanson for finally being some lefties that give a fat rat's clacker about how well-off working people are. You are my heroes of the week. Fat rat's clacker. It's not a phrase I'd ever heard before, and I didn't think it was coming just that. All right, that's a good one. All right, my one, and it's a little bit hypocritical since I started saying is a Hillary Clinton of British politics. But anyway, Boris Johnson's election uh, campaign... The Love Actually one. People might have seen this. I think we're playing oh, it on yeah, YouTube yeah. now. Uh, where basically they just reenact the scene where the guy was standing outside, the girl that he's always had a crush on who's mm. now married to his best mate's mm. best mate and he's outside. He's got the placard saying, like, you know, I'm I'm moving on. Yeah. Uh, and Boris Johnson's doing a parody of that, basically supporting Brexit. Uh, it is, like, legitimately... In a in a sparse field, it is one of the best political ads I've ever seen. It's like it's funny. It's just uh, relatable. Everyone's you know we're coming up to Christmas. Everyone's thinking about love. Actually, it's it, it's the perfect ad. No, it's a good ad. It's a good ad. Now you've got strong opinions on about whether this is a good move or not for, uh, for any I, young person out there. Oh well, like yeah, from the original, like that is the biggest psycho move in the history of the planet. Is to like if if you are in love with your best mate's girl. You keep that to yourself to the <laughs> grave or you move on. You certainly don't go, yeah. you know what, I'm going to go to their house yeah. and you know risk that the guy just su- somehow comes to the door to see yeah. a caroler and beats the crap out of me or for doing like, this. Oh, what's on the cards, mate? Yeah. Oh, nothing. <laughs> oh, nothing, mate. Anyway, uh, I think it's fine to do if you if you're friends, but don't do it to some stranger that you've I, spotted. <laughs> don't do it to anyone. It's a, it's a famously world. romantic scene, James. Yeah. You is really, it, you know, you polarise. No, it's, I think it's a scene in a romantic fr- movie, but it's not a romantic scene. I think everyone's. Just, otherwise, you're just saying that the Alan Rickman given the secretary the necklace is a romantic scene as well. Like, I just think that's a psycho move as well. Anyone who's got any problems with romance or any other nature, write in J Bolt at IPA.org.au. He'll solve all your romantic problems. Oh, I love giving advice. Uh, and let's move on to the villain segment. Yep. Sorry, uh, this is the Walter Peck Villain Award for people that have stood up against the grunts of the pigs of the world yep. and have stood up for. 
more tyranny. Uh, Pete, who have you got? The anti-grunts. Okay. The anti-grunts. Now, we all know Scott Cam, celebrity builder from the block. If you haven't, here's a sample of his work. Play the game and pull your head in. Let's go, Shell. Pull your head in, James. Yeah, I'm fired up. Anyway, so the reason why I'm talking about Scott Cam is because he has been getting paid $345,000 for 15 months' work as a National Careers Ambassador. Now, what is a National Careers Ambassador? I hear people ask. Scott Morrison, Prime Minister of Australia, uh, says he makes no apology for, for trying to get Thank people... Thank you for clarifying that one, Pete. <laughs> it's important to give people all the information. He makes no apology for trying to get pe- young people into trades. He described Cam as a successful tradie uh, who is going to make clear to young people that there are wonderful economic opportunities for uh, young people in the trade. Scott Morrison, how good is the swamp? Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't need so, them, but sorry, you go. Yeah, no, just to clarify, so Scott Cam is being paid $345,000 of taxpayer money a mm. year to promote tradeism by being Scott Cam. That's right. Good gig if you can get it. That's right. It's only suitable for one person, but it's a good gig. I was going to say, you know, if the Prime Minister wants to encourage young people to be be workshop podcasters, we are here for you. And we will do it also. No, you know what? We're all about reducing the size of government. Let's halve the size of government. Let's do it for 170,000. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it for 170,000. Yeah. Oh, but we're we splitting that as well. Uh, yeah, so it's we're down to 85. <laughs> I, can <laughs> I can do it. Anyway. I'll make ends meet. Reduce red tape, cut taxes, get yeah. rid of all the regulation around hiring apprentices, which is very difficult. I've got a lot of tradie mates that can't get a, or couldn't get apprenticeships yeah. because it's so hard to take Well, if only there was $345,000 lying around. <laughs> Uh, that could help people. Anyway, the other part, uh, Scott Morrison defending Camps Bay, telling reporters he made no apology for trying to get young people into trade. So that's not what we're doing here. Like, no yeah. one's criticising you on the grounds of you're not serious about it. Yep. We're just worried about paying Scott Cam $345,000. Exactly right. All right. Uh, my villain this week is Chris Pratt. Uh, I've long said that Chris Pratt's a secret Republican, and I'm, I'm now forced to say he's not. Because, uh, Pete, have a look at this photo here. Mm. Have a look at this oh, photo. You took a photo of me in the gym. <laughs> Chris Pratt, very ripped. Oh, Chris Pratt, sorry. Uh, and Peter Gregory, also ripped. Uh, <laughs> okay, so the problem apparently with this photo is the, uh, that he is holding a single-use plastic water bottle while looking mournfully off into the distance. Now, I would just say the problem with the photo is he's being a bit of a try-hard uh, photo shoot, but Jason Momoa, Aquaman star, yep. uh, also a very big boy, uh, <laughs> he wrote in a comment underneath this photo on Instagram, bro, I love you, no single-use plastic, come on. Now, Chris Pratt then apologises, oh, Aquaman, on, you're completely right, damn it, I always carry my big gallon-sized reusable water jug with me too, again, bit try hard, gallon, come on. I even had it that day, triple exclamation mark, if I remember correctly, somebody threw that plastic bottle to me in the photo shoot because I didn't know what to do with my hands. Hear that, kids, reduce, reuse, recycle. Now... It does not stop there. Okay. Oh, it doesn't? People started to have a go at Chris Pratt and Jason Momoa for like, it's just a photo. Yeah. And then Jason Momoa goes back in saying, I'm sorry this was received so badly today. I didn't mean for that to happen. I'm just very passionate about this single-use plastic e- epidemic. I didn't know that. Now, can everyone just stop apologizing? <laughs> like, first <laughs> off, like, if you're going to comment on people's photos, this grandstanding, don't use single-use plastic water bottles, I'm going to do that publicly on Insta rather than send you a private text message. If you're going to do that... Yeah. Stand by it. Like, yeah. the apology is what kills you. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I didn't realise that aspect of the story had happened. He's been, like, outwoked yes. by the other side. Exactly. And uh, that is actually incredible. And, yeah, stand by it. I think the only thing with that is it's only single use yep. if you don't reuse it. You can keep filling up that water bottle. Yes. And a dollar saved is a dollar earned, Chris Pratt. So <laughs> Again, they're taking it from the environment, so not just a few, <laughs> few coins saved here. Yeah. All right. Uh, let us go to our interviews now. Cool. Okay, we're now joined by Mazia Gardari, who is the producer of The Rise of Jordan Peterson. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Mazia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All right, so Maz, uh, 
Your film asks a few questions about Jordan Peterson, but I want to narrow in on one moment at the start. Now, uh, probably like one of my favorite bits was when Jordan says to camera that this is what I look like. And it's just like Jordan Peterson's face. And then he picks up this like pretty frightening mask and he wears it and says, this is what my critics think I look like. And uh, I think uh, Patricia, the dire- uh, your wife and the director of the film then asks him which one is real. And he says, they're both real. So you and Patricia spent a lot of time with Jordan Peterson. To you, which one was real? Hmm. Um, I'd say that um, every time I see that bit in the film, I always think about uh, that Kubrick film, uh, Full Metal Jacket, where they're talking about kind of like the duality of man. Um, honestly, I, I think the most interesting characters and the most interesting kind of memorable documentary subjects, uh, fiction to are the people that kind of walk that line between, uh, between, between the both. Um, so I would really say like, uh, it really it is a matter of perspective. I mean, for some people, Jordan, uh, is this, um, you know, a kind of like a messiah and for other people, he's this villain. Um, it's also something that we tried to bring out in the movie poster, um, that might be good for you guys to check out. I don't know if you've seen it, but essentially what we have there is we have Jordan Peterson kind of like as this iconic figure and people along the, along the bottom half of the poster on the left and to the right of him, quite literally, right? The people on the left are, are pointing at him, are masking their face while condemning him. This is like Antifa and some of the, some of the leftist activists that have, um, kind of detracted from him. And on the other side, you have people on the conservative side, you know, broadly speaking, that have seen him as kind of like a a messiah and saying those things that they were were also thinking about. So I think for many people, he, he, for many people that look at it in a more of a skin deep sort of way, it's really one or the other. But for me, kind of as a filmmaker, they, they, the most interesting characters are when when they're a little bit of both, um, and complexity is what's driven the story and it's made it so engaging from the beginning to the end. So, but at, at the same time, I, I would say that for me, like Jordan, Jordan has been more. He's he, he's also helped me out with some certain things, like a lot of uh, young people. So I would say that um, his contribution to the conversation has been positive even though some people have seen things, you know, in in another light. So that would be my take on that. That's interesting, Maz. So you mentioned in that answer that some people think that Jordan Peterson thinks he's a messiah. You spent a lot of time with him at close quarters. Do you think he thinks he's a messiah of sorts? Um, I don't... um, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think he thinks that in a, in a very specific sort of way. Um, I would say that he, look, it's it's kind of like his whole career. He's been a clinical psychologist, so he's been all about kind of one to one relationships with people, helping them out with their problems, talking out their troubles. So, in that light. He wants to be a helper. He wants to be somebody that people look to to help them out through their interpersonal problems with career, with romance, with, with uh, you know, agreeableness, specifically uh, dealing with neuroticism, the life's lows. And 
So I think he's, and I think in many ways he's sort of risen to the occasion to kind of become that for many people. Um, but I wouldn't say specifically that he would. I, I think he's smart enough to know not to, not to fall. You don't, you don't want to fall in love with the archetype that you, that people are claiming that you are, because then it gets very dangerous, and then you kind of fall in love with your own self-image, and that's that would be the the. I think that's really the end of the the. Um, the the persona because it would overtake you so i think he's well aware of that um so that would be my take on that Okay, so you start this film in 2015, but Jordan's Professor Against Political Correctness, uh, which I guess is like the spark for his international superstardom, uh, those videos weren't made until 2016. So what initially attracted you to make a documentary about him? Yeah, good question. So originally we approached Jordan about a year and a half before the pronoun videos came out. We were interested in his friendship with the indigenous carver Charles Joseph that comes from... Uh, a tribe uh, in the remote parts of Vancouver Island. Um, so that was the original film we were doing. It was basically a story about a friendship. So, you know, Jordan Peterson coming out of Harvard, um, big academic background, a lot of cred to his name, even before he's become super famous. And then you have Charles Joseph, who at the time and for most of his life, he's been illiterate. He struggled with depression He's had a lot of turmoil in his life. At times, he was homeless. But they met at this hippie art fair like 15 years ago, and Jordan just started buying art from the guy, and he started to build a relationship. And he looked at this guy, and he said, okay, this isn't, this isn't just a somebody making crafts and trying to sell their wooden pieces at some fair. This is a, this is a real artist. This is a raw artist. And he... Jordan appreciated the fact that Charles knows all the stories of the artifacts that he builds. And Jordan, of course, is no surprise that if you're somebody that's into Jung and if you're somebody that's into Nietzsche, it's natural that you're going to be um, very curious about uh, mythology, story, symbolism. So that's kind of like the relationship that started to develop in the conversations they were having. And then what Charles kind of gets out of the friendship is that Charles has been, um, it's, I think it's a little bit similar to Australia, where Canada has this dark history where uh, Native kids were taken away forcefully from their parents and they were put into these residential schools. And some of these schools were Christian schools run by priests and, and nuns. And Charles Joseph, for most of his childhood, he was molested by these priests. And he was told he can't speak his language, he can't do his dances, they shaved his head, you know, so it was very traumatic for the guy. So, and this is something that Charles Joseph still kind of deals with. And even through his adulthood, and Charles is around the same age as Jordan, and even through his adulthood, he has had, um, he, he dreams of himself still as a child, and he kind of sees himself as as, as this child that's, that's fighting against the stuff he went through as a kid, but through counsel with Jordan, you know, they have these Skype conversations that we filmed a few. Jordan's helped him to kind of self-actualize and kind of become whole again by kind of guiding him through and helping him make sense of his past so he could build a more positive future. So that was the original film we were doing. It was essentially a story about a friendship. We have two very, very different characters that are both have a deep passion for mythology and art and meaning, and they help each other out in very, in very unique ways. And then, of course, everything changed when 
those political the political turmoil happened and uh, you know he's he's in the news literally every day every week there was a new scandal he's on Joe Rogan millions of views later and our job as filmmakers is essentially to keep the camera on that sounds fascinating it must, must an amazing stroke of luck I guess to be there when this sort of historic event happened that must have been fantastic for you as a filmmaker uh, you were there when Jordan Peterson took off you were there the whole time you had your cameras on as you said what did you notice did anything change about Jordan Peterson at this time? Yeah, the there was a guy? few things. I mean, one of, one of the first things, and I think you guys will remember that very, very first scene, like that's a bit of a shocker to people. Like some people can't even, like when they see that guy at the table doing that personality test with his family, mm-hmm. they have to do a bit of a double take. Like, is that Jordan Peterson? Like he, he looks so different than what he looks like now. And that has a lot to do with his diet. Um, so diet played a big role in kind of his mood regulation and the way he looks. Um, so that was a big change. There was a big physical change associated. Um, also, you know, like Jordan, for most of his career, like people, you meet somebody at a party and they say, well, what do you do? And Jordan, you know, somebody would say, well, I'm a, I'm a psychologist and I'm a professor. Jordan hasn't taught a class at University of Toronto in years, and he doesn't do his clinical practice anymore. Like, his whole life has changed so quickly, and uh, the very end of the film, we kind of, we, he kind of describes that, how it's kind of like this this detachment from his life and who he feels he is. So there's kind of like this, what's called derealization, the separation between between himself and his life. So the changes that we've seen have been that his life has moved so, so quickly. And I think he's done relatively well to adapt. But I think the thing that I've noticed with Jordan is that in that first scene, we we wanted to make the personality test the first scene of the film because we wanted to kind of make a promise to the audience that says, okay, you guys are going to see something you've never seen before. And what you see there, and what I always remember about that scene every time I see it, is that there's kind of like a lightheartedness to Jordan. He's kind of laughing with his family, and it's it's very it's very kind of like carefree, and they're poking fun at, at him. And honestly, I haven't seen Jordan that kind of relaxed in a long time. And I think that partly has to do with the polarization of the, of the media interpretations. I mean, this guy's the Messiah. This guy's the devil. You know, it's this, it's this it's this binary system that he's kind of caught up in, and that's essentially the culture war. You know, the culture war has kind of hardened him and kind of hardened his skin, I think. And it's also made him kind of kind of take things very, very seriously. And that's that's exactly who Jordan is. I mean, he's a person that you give the guy responsibility. You put a you put a big rock on his back. He's going to carry the thing. So he's he's much more serious. And he's much more um, kind of focused, um, and and it's all come. It's actually all come a little bit to a complete halt, right? Because I'm sure you know the news. I mean, he's he's had to go. He's he's gone to rehab. He's had to kind of take a step back and refocus and kind of rebuild some of the basic parts of the self. So that's kind of where he's at right now. He, we hope he comes back soon. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, the critics as well because when you make a film like The Rise of Jordan Peterson, you know that the audience is going to be you know, mainly made up of fans of his. Uh, but in this film, you interview 
people on the other side of the original protest at the University of Toronto, you interview former neighbours of his that have fallen out with him. Uh, so what was the decision to talk to his uh, critics like and especially conscious of the people who were going to end up watching this film are usually going to be fans of his? Yeah, I mean, I mean, fundamentally, like, what our intent with this film was never to be the kind of film that that um, we didn't have a specific audience in mind, like a fan, a film for the fans, a film for the haters. We wanted to show the complexity of the guy. We wanted to show how um, what we basically wanted to give an honest take of what people think of the guy and what people have been saying, how he's reacted to it. And, um, and that's part of kind of like the whole duality that we want to do, right? Like it's, 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 you can't have a good story without conflict. And sometimes, you know, the, the best stories are real life. So for us, it was this crazy roller coaster where, um, there was a scandal every week. So it was important to include the voices that critique the guy. So and it's, it's so much, it's that much more of a shame that we've had these cancellations. We've had this this negative press from people that haven't even seen the film that are claiming, you know, you shouldn't give Jordan Peterson a platform. You, you know, the typical kind of mainstream kind of superficial kind of criticisms about a guy that kind of falls outside of political correctness. It's a shame that these people reacted in this way because if they were to actually watch it, they would see that it's, 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 it's a balanced film that allows space. So the name of, the, of our production company is Holding Space Film. So Holding Space is about holding space for people that you agree with and especially that you don't agree with. And so it was important for us to include those voices in the film to create, uh, to offer a more whole picture of the guy and to let the audience, you know, let you guys think think what you want of him. Uh, uh, so a last question, and thanks so much for your time. But uh, so last question, there's so much of Jordan Peterson's work out there. There's so much of what he thinks and so much content that people watch. But uh, you're someone that spent so much time with him. What is one thing that we don't know about Jordan Peterson? Mm, good question. Good question, man. Um, yeah, Jordan is a guy that's that's working through his ideas, his problems in real time for us, before our eyes. Um that can alienate people. People can get the wrong idea. People can take a little sound bite and create polarization as if we're creating this kind of binary between the good and the bad. Um, so fundamentally, I think that Jordan is a guy figuring out the world around him, trying to make sense of it, trying to do it through story and through dialogue. And I think that it's a good model for people to to work work it out because because the thing of it is is that if you're not talking you're fighting and free speech fundamentally and the thing that he advocates for one of the things is that you know it is free speech and in my view and I come from uh, I was born I came to Canada as a refugee I was born in Iran obviously a totalitarian country without free speech and look at what's happening there right now as we speak so fundamentally, I think free speech is about that kind of valve, the valve for society to allow them to kind of release tension and to let things out there. Because if you don't do that, it just it just goes right into the underground. So I think um, I think Jordan is kind of like this avatar who's living out his philosophies before us for for a greater good. I hope. Um, 
and honesty. And I think that that candid approach um, is, is, is something that's therapeutic, I think, for him and for us to bear witness to. Uh, Mazia Gattery, uh, the film writer of Jordan Peterson, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Maz. Okay, we now welcome on to the show Michaela Peterson, the CEO of The Lion Die. Michaela, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, no, it's all good. So, Michaela, we just spoke to the filmmakers of The Rise of Jordan Peterson. So, have you seen the film and uh, what were your impressions of it? Um, I actually haven't seen the whole film. That's going to sound really bad coming out, but I haven't seen the whole film. But I was there for a very long time filming it. So, uh, I can tell. Like, I know what happened because I was in the film. Um, yes. My impressions... From from the sections I've seen, I thought that they did a really good job keeping things fair. I would say it's um, a lot of people were afraid that it was going to be a pro Jordan film, and it's not. It, it's pretty neutral. So yeah. that, that's all I really have to say about the film. Yeah, it's exactly. Neutral. I think it's fair. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, with Jordan Peterson, like uh, the rise of Jordan Peterson, yeah, it takes a nuanced film. There's interviews with yourself. There's interviews with Jordan's uh, friends and family, and also some of his enemies. But I suppose, like uh, with Jordan, there's just so many things that people will—they've uh, already got their preconceived notion of who he is, and they're just going to go with whatever that is. So I don't know. If, like, if you were to make a Jordan Peterson documentary, what would what what type of things would you be highlighting about Jordan? Uh, mine would probably be more positive than the rise of Jordan B. Peterson. Um, and what would my film look like? I think I would probably zoom in a, a bit on how like dad's rise to fame affected the family, which I guess they got a little bit in the film, but it's been a very strange last couple of years. Um, so I'd probably give more of a background on what's changed in our family since dad like skyrocketed to fame randomly. Well, let, let's talk about that, Michaela. So we'll get onto the line diet in a second, but what was it like seeing your dad become so famous so quickly, uh, both for him and for yourself? Uh, like exciting and scary. <laughs> it was kind of scary at the beginning. Like um, it happened so quickly that I'd walk down the street and dad would be on the front of a newspaper and there'd be something horrible on the newspaper cover. And so that was like scary, mostly. Um, I lost all faith in mainstream news outlets, which I used to read. Like um, there's, there's a newspaper called the Metro here in Canada, which is just, you know, a local newspaper. And, and I just read the news and kind of believed the news. And then the weirdest part, I guess, with dad, well, not the weirdest part of dad getting famous, but one of the weird parts was people were just publishing lies. Like Jordan Peterson said this. I was like, he didn't say that at all. And I was thinking, oh, what else have I read that just isn't true? So I think our whole family lost faith in mainstream news outlets. That was strange. Uh, what else happened? Well, he disappeared. He went on tour for a year, just solidly traveling. So he got he shot up to fame and then disappeared with my mom. That was that was the background of what happened. So it's been odd. 
it was scary for you seeing your dad's face pop up on so many newspapers and stuff like that. Uh, but I just wonder, like, did you also see a change in Jordan in this time? Was there, like, uh, you say he disappeared for a year. Was there a different person that came back or is it just the sort of the same dad that you always had? Uh, well, it's a bit complicated. I would say it's he's pretty much the same. But, but at the same time, um, we started, like, we were both fairly ill before he got famous and so he kind of got famous and we got better at the same time so he changed when he got better um as well and i'll go into that a little bit later but um i don't think he changed from the fame he was still but he did change uh from like losing a bunch of weight and recovering from some illnesses uh so not only did he like pop up to fame but he also looked a lot different uh, because of the change in, well, how ill he was. So it was like two things to kind of, that were difficult to wrap my head around and for the rest of my family. But um, no, I would say he stayed pretty much the same personality-wise, a little less volatile um, and and more stressed out. There were a lot of really stressful situations that popped up with, you know, when you get, a, when you get attacked in the media, um, it's stressful. And you have to be pretty you have to be a pretty calm person to be able to deal with that amount of hate coming from people, especially if it's aimed at you about things that you haven't said. So he got, I wouldn't say he changed, but he definitely got stressed out. Yeah. uh, So look, my dad is nowhere near the Jordan Peterson in terms of fame, but his public profile here in Australia as like a conservative TV host and journalist, uh, it it influences people's opinion of me. So how do you deal with people putting you in boxes and going, oh, this is every opinion you have in life because of how I perceive your father? Uh, Because I'm struggling. Yeah. Well, somewhat fortunately, I pretty much agree with most of what he's saying. I'd say he's more conservative than I am. Um, so some of the things he says, well, he's more conservative than I am for sure. But the gist of what he's saying, um, I've, I've been behind that for a number of years. Like when I first went to university in Montreal, um, there were a whole bunch of courses I was taking that were overrun with like feminist ideology. Like I was taking classics and reading Homer and we were having to read Homer through a feminist perspective. And I was really, really annoyed about that because it was like, I didn't take this course to take feminism. That's why I took classics. So I I was complaining about that over social media probably since 2012. So at least that part still kind of lined up. But then, yeah, he's a little bit more conservative than me. But fortunately, I don't mind being lined up with him or aligned with him. So that hasn't really affected me, I guess. I mean, I, I did get a couple of questions. It's like, oh, your dad said women shouldn't wear lipstick. Why do you wear lipstick? It's like, that's not what he said. <laughs> but I don't know. It's been strange. It, it hasn't bothered me. The, one of the weird things that has happened, though, I guess, is I'll have people on Facebook that I went to high school with complaining about him <laughs> on Facebook. So I've had to delete a number of people just because I don't want that showing up on my Facebook. It's been a very surreal experience. 
All right, we've all seen Jordan Peterson on telly and uh, on YouTube and things like that. What is he like in person? What's he like around the dinner table? Does he sit there saying, you know, life is suffering and you have to adopt responsibility? Does he talk about the weather? Is the Jordan, Jordan Peterson we see on TV and YouTube the same as the one around the house? So- yeah, the Jordan Peterson you see on YouTube and on stage at his shows and everything is the Jordan Peterson at home too. That's intense. There really isn't a difference. Uh he might have no, no. Like sometimes he's funnier in person, but he's funny on stage sometimes too. So that is pretty much what you see is what you get. That's what I grew up with. Uh, brilliant. Let's talk about your work with the Lion Diet. So, what is it, and what are like the benefits of the, the carnivore diet? I was diagnosed with rheumatoid juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was seven. Um had my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17, even though I was really heavily medicated for the arthritis. Uh, I had extremely severe depression, chronic fatigue. I was sleeping all the time. Uh, and then I had a myriad of other like autoimmune like symptoms, uh, itchy skin, rashes, um, severe brain fog, Amongst other things, so the, those were the those were the main problems I was suffering from, and they were getting worse and worse and worse. And I was going on more and more medications, and I kept going to doctors and being like, "What about this new symptom?" And nobody really knew what to do with me because I was getting so much sicker, and I was so medicated. And when I was twenty three, I came across some evidence suggesting that uh, gluten, in particular, uh, could contribute to damage in the gut and that could cause autoimmune problems. And I came from the perspective of diet has nothing to do with health. I would like, I really thought it had nothing to do with health because we had talked to my doctors a number of times about whether or not what I was eating was contributing to my health problems. And their response was straight up. No. And I trusted them to know what they were talking about. So it was really shocking for me to come across actual evidence that Gluten, particularly for susceptible individuals, uh, can be damaging to your gut. So I cut out gluten, and then I cut out, and that didn't make much of a difference. And I, so I started out cutting out foods, kind of out of desperation to see if my autoimmune problems would lessen um, with removal of foods. And this was kind of before the whole paleo and keto diets got popular. So I didn't know, well. I didn't know what I was. I was starting with what I thought people wouldn't be allergic to. So I kept meat. People aren't allergic to meat. And I kept a bunch of root vegetables. And I cut pretty much everything else that I thought might be giving me some sort of allergic reaction. Um, Anyway, fast forward a number of years. I tried to reintroduce. And every time I tried to reintroduce food that I was like craving or that I missed, um, because I was used to eating out all the time and cooking at home was really annoying. I'd have these really terrible autoimmune flares. Um, and at this point, I had stopped taking my autoimmune medication, which I was injecting biweekly. Uh, I stopped that because I wanted to see if this diet was working. And I was having, every time I reintroduced a food, I was having this horrible flare up. So I stuck with this baseline of foods, which was basically meat and fish, um, some root vegetables and a couple of fruit. I'd cut out grains, legumes like soy, nuts, um, most fruit, dairy. Um, and I got 
I improved dramatically. Like, um, my arthritis basically went into remission. Um, I got off of my antidepressants, my idiopathic hypersomnia. So the chronic fatigue, uh, went away three months into this really limited diet. Uh, and that's when I put dad on the diet. So that was December, 2015. Um, and he started losing weight re- really rapidly and a whole bunch of his health problems started getting resolved. Um, so that was really meat heavy diet, but it wasn't pure meat. And then a couple of years later, so 2017, um, I had a baby and my autoimmune symptoms came back afterwards, uh, during the pregnancy actually. And I was on this ridiculously limited diet. At that point I was just eating meat and greens and dad was just eating meat and greens. I was like, why? Like, how am I supposed to survive off of just meat? I'm going to die of some vitamin deficiency. Um, but then like, so I, so I switched down to just meat (laughs) to see what would happen. And within a week, the joint pain I was experiencing, which wasn't as bad as it was when I was doing the standard American diet, but the joint pain that was lingering went away. The itching I was experiencing went away. Um, six weeks into only eating meat, the depression I was experiencing went away. And five months later, my lingering anxiety went away. Uh, and I got dad to switch over to that too. After I think it took me like four months of harping at him because he was just eating meat and greens. And I was like, just drop the greens and see what happens. Um, and he switched over to it. And it sounds like, well, so I've been doing it for two years now. Um, I started December 2017, so it's officially been two years. My vitamin deficiencies that I have had have recovered. My vitamin D is still a little bit low, but it's been low forever. But my zinc, which was low from the time I was seven on, has recovered. Um, All my health symptoms are gone. So this diet's completely transformed my life, and I've been trying to, like, spread it around getting a little bit of negative feedback about not being a nutritionist and trying to share this all beef diet. But basically what I tell people is if you have a number of unexplainable health symptoms and you're not getting better and you, you don't know what to do about it, this is an option for a really extreme elimination diet. Uh, and I've seen thousands of people recover from really, really severe theoretically incurable health problems by switching over to um, what I call the lion diet. So that's ruminant meat, salt, and water, and that's it. Um, And a lot of people get better on the carnivore diet, which includes other animal products like dairy and eggs, but um, dairy and eggs seem to give me autoimmune symptoms, so I'm just eating meat. So that's a bit bit of a background of what's been going on diet-wise for the last couple of years. Right, cool. So in uh, the movie, it makes a huge deal out of uh, this this diet change in terms of um, Jordan Peterson's rise. Do you take credit for that? Do you think like you played a crucial role in this whole thing? Because the way it looks, it looks like he's kind of, I guess, a bit doughy, like not lacking energy, can't get up in the morning, changes to your diet and takes off. Yeah, yeah. The change in dad was dramatic like extremely dramatic. He was napping for a couple of hours every day in the afternoon. Um, and that stopped. He couldn't wake up in the morning. Well, that stopped. Um, he lost 55 pounds. Um, 
and his energy was endless. He was also having like prior to dietary changes, he was saying that he was reading and he was having a hard time, not focusing exactly, but kind of focusing on what he was reading. And I thought, well, maybe you're getting older, maybe you need glasses or something. But it wasn't that it was brain fog. So that lifted. So he lost a whole bunch of weight, brain fog went away, um, a whole bunch of like more minor autoimmune symptoms. He had psoriasis, um, all that cleared up. And then that September, the YouTube video that first went viral, went viral. Um, so I don't want to take credit for the YouTube video, but the way he was lecturing prior to dietary changes with the brain fog is not the same as how he was lecturing after dietary changes when the brain fog lifted. I think you should absolutely take uh, credit for the YouTube video, but where can people <laughs> go if they want to learn more about the lion diet? Um, go to MichaelaPeterson.com or my name is difficult to spell. Go to LionDiet.com. Uh, I have a mailing list you can sign up for. I'm working on a course to try and help people transition into this diet if they want to try it, um, which I've also got some flack for because people ask, why do you need a course on a diet that's just beef, salt, and water? Which is a fair question, but if you drop carbs suddenly too, uh, you experience pretty intense carb withdrawal. You know, people don't understand how addictive like sugar is and I probably would have just written off this diet if you had told me about it five years ago. But um, I'm coming out with a course. So sign up for the mailing list. And then I'm on Instagram at Michaela Peterson and on YouTube. There's some information up there too, Michaela Peterson. Okay, brilliant. Michaela Peterson, CEO of The Lion Diet. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on. Okay, thank you too, Michaela Peterson. Very interesting interview. We're now joined by basically our roving reporter at this point, Adam Sleek. So Hi far guys. to check out the band. Uh, thank you for coming on last week. Thanks You're for back having again. me. Uh, so Adam, set, uh, set up what people are about to listen to. Yeah, so we had a Generation Liberty event where we showed the uh, screening of the new Jordan Peterson film, The Rise of Jordan Peterson. Very good. That's good, the one. Good, good. And so I thought I'd take a camera down, see what people thought about it, and see how they felt about yeah, it. Yeah, the people. Cool. G'day guys, I'm Adam. We're here with Generation Liberty for the rise of Jordan Peterson. We're here to ask people how they feel about the movie, how they feel about Jordan Peterson, and how they feel about trigger warnings. How do you feel about Jordan Peterson? For me, he's an inspiration, to put it, uh, to put it plainly. Um, I think that to the extent that he speaks about the individual and taking personal responsibility, I'm, I'm all aboard that message. I, I like him. I like him. He's good, yeah. Yeah. I think I love him. I really connect well with him and I've been following a lot of his podcasts and lecture series. So I'm super excited about the movie. I like some of the stuff that he does about self-improvement, things like that. So I'm not too familiar with his like political stuff, but all the stuff that he's done about the 12 steps and things like that, I thought it was pretty useful and some of the stuff, some of the information that he provides to you know, young guys very valuable. <laughs> Anything else you want to add about Jordan Peterson in general? Uh, he actually changed my life and the way that I think. It was the one video that I watched which was why the gender pay gap exists because prior to that I've never heard anything uh, so extensive and so simple as to why that is an issue and that actually, well, that issue doesn't exist. And uh, since then I've had such a, a open mind to ideas opposing and supporting mine and yeah, he's such an impact uh, of a figure and speaker and... I really think more people should listen to him 
and not block out what he has to say. Go Jordan Peterson. Melbourne Uni asked us to come up with some trigger warnings before today's uh, screening. Do you guys feel like you needed to be warned? I actually thought they were satire signs on the way up here. I laughed and I thought I've got to take one of those home with me. And then I found out they were actually required to put them up and I just think that's really lame. So before we came here, Melbourne Uni asked us to put up some trigger warnings uh, for the film. Do you feel like we needed them? Not at all, but I think it's very unsurprising that they've decided to do that. And if anything, this should you know, be a challenge to people's you know, existing orthodoxies. And that's why we don't need one. After seeing the film... Did it change how you feel about Jordan Peterson? What do you reckon? I, I definitely think it gave a new perspective. Like it was a more intimate view. It was really nice seeing him with Tammy and <laughs> all their little banter. It was very cute. Yeah, I already liked him already. So just confirmed some pre-existing emotions, I guess. <laughs> Did the film change how you feel about Jordan Peterson? How, what do you think of him? It only actually made me appreciate him more because I actually learnt a couple of new things about him and the fact that he looks at life as a prophetic thing as well. So it's not just about the way he lives in the now, which everyone thinks it is. It's, no, he thinks more for the future, for the people and like evolution as a whole. Okay, that was the Vox Pop. Thank you very much, Adam. So what do we uh, take out of that? Well, for me, I mean, Jordan Peterson in like, you know recent times has started a lot of controversy. There seems to be a lot of people feeling pretty angry about him. But then, you know, when we were actually down there talking to people, people didn't seem too riled up by him. You know, mm. they thought he was a pretty reasonable guy and could kind of get along with what he said. Yeah, and a lot of our very casual people at the screening as well. It's not like, uh, you know, what the media <laughs> perceives to be Jordan Peterson's, you know, fan yeah. base. There was a lot of mm. people that yeah. don't fall in the media narrative there. That's exactly right. We spoke to AFL footballer Tom McDonald about Jordan Peterson last year. Yeah, he was, you know, that was his season. He was very poor, but I don't want to go on about it. <laughs> Injuries, etc. But he spoke about how, you know, he's not that political and it's actually a bit of a myth that it's uh, aimed at a certain segment of the population, of the movie itself. The thing I know a lot about Jordan Person, pretty knowledgeable guy, but I, the bit I found he's most interesting was the bit that we just spoke about with Michaela, which was the massive impact his diet made. Yes. Tell uh, us about that because what your theory is. Uh, what's my theory? <laughs> is that he's so... Like, it was a massive change. He was he had health problems and he had depression and things like that. And yep. then she came up with this diet. Well, I'll jump in. Peter Gregory left the film. He looks at me and just goes, do you reckon it was all down to the diet? No. <laughs> yeah, it's not all down to the diet. I, but, but it did play, clearly played a big role. I mean, that's how the, the film portrayed it. Yes. Uh, well, my take out from that box pop and people would have seen uh, who are watching on YouTube me lumbering around in the background. I've got a pretty intimidating face when, I've got a, when I'm a man on a mission. There was a lot of weird expressions on my face of pure concentration. Anyway. Yeah. My uh, take out of it was... I wish Jordan Peterson was my dad. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, dad, if you're listening. Big shot to My dad's still dad. good. I like him too. Yep. But okay. Jordan good. Peterson, he'd be, he'd be pretty good. He'd be intense, but yeah, I'll take your point. You'd well, make Michaela, a lot of good decisions. You would. You know? Michaela Peterson did seem to say it would be a very yeah. positive documentary uh, if she made it. So, yeah. And she, she said that he didn't change at home is how he's on stage. Mm. Like imagine that at like eight o'clock in the morning, you know, you were going to adapt some responsibility today. I knew we were going to get <laughs> But Phoenix. you'd get meat for breakfast. You didn't, That's right. You didn't do the uh, <laughs> impression in front of Michaela, but I knew we would get it at one point in the show. All right. Uh, adapt Ad Adam. <laughs> Any more? That's all I got. That's all you got. Adam, thank you very much. Uh, we got more show for you after this. 
Okay, uh, so yeah, no quiz this week, um, and we'll definitely bring back on the long-waited-for rematch mm. uh, next week or maybe next year. Anyway, uh, let's get through some stories. The show's running long. That made us laugh this week. Joe Biden, we discussed this on the show last yes. week. He's up and about. He, he is, is uh, talking about sunscreen. Oh, that was like a resurfaced video. Um yeah, it's sunscreen. He bit his wife's finger uh, controversially. I was pro. I was pro that. You were pro that. And uh, what was the third one? Uh, anyway, he was. I can't remember. I can't remember. All right. Uh, anyway, this one might have trumped all of them. So he is on his oh, the No Malarkey tour. That was the third no, one. I now he's on the that. No Malarkey tour, <laughs> and I'm afraid to say there was a bit of malarkey at oh. a town hall with an unruly. So someone gets up. They are, he asks him a few questions about Trump's son in the Ukraine. Biden's son. Uh, yeah, uh, about Biden's son in the Ukraine and. Biden doesn't take too well to the question, so no. roll the tape. Things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on it? Let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do. Let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. This is oh, exactly God. like I am now. I was Tulsi Gabbard. I'm now all in on Joe Biden. Oh, we, really? Because there will definitely be a debate between Trump and Biden where a feat of strength is demanded. Yeah. Like, I imagine like because you know like in 2016 we had. Trump just like follow Clinton around the debate stage and like loom over her intimidatingly. Imagine Trump on just some, making some point and Joe Biden's in the background just doing curls. Yeah. <laughs> just like slightly in the background or like, you know, someone just wheels in a squat rack and he's just staring at Trump the whole time as he's lifting. It'd be amazing. It would be good. I don't actually know who, I mean, Trump's pretty portly these days. Like well, surely Biden would get him. Yeah. Well, Trump's theory is that uh, human, humans have a finite sort, amount of energy. I think I just read this on the internet. It's probably fake. <laughs> but it's probably true. Yeah, Trump, like, humans have a finite source of energy. So every time you exercise, you just deplete your energy. No, that's Sorry. not true. <laughs> that's not true. Sorry, Donald Trump. Uh, oh, that's not true. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, so now what I would like to say is that guy that asked me a question, yep. if, for those who couldn't say it, is quite fat and old. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I don't give Joe Biden any credit for that. I prefer the Abiy Ahmed approach. Ethiopian president won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yep. And did this during the year. So what's happening here? Baby? Ethiopian so, Prime Minister oh, Abiy Ahmed challenged dozens of his country's disgruntled elite soldiers oh. to ten press-ups for storming his office with weapons. Now they are they are special forces Ethiopian soldiers. They're yep. not even ordinary soldiers. They stormed his office with weapons. Yep. And he got them to settle down with a push-up contest. So, Joe Biden, when you can do that and not challenge some old fat bloke, you'll have my respect. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to get. It is. Uh, I've taken on three different militias with a push-up contest, and yeah. Peter Gregory's still yet to look me in the eyes. All right, uh, let's head over to the uh, Emma Thompson story. Pete. Yeah, exactly right. So, a lot of love, actually, in British politics this yep. week. We talked about the ad. We've seen Love Hugh- actually is all around. <laughs> that was quite good. Thank you. Uh, and we've seen... Hugh Grant rabbiting on about how Warney stole his missus. Oh, I mean Brexit. And um, we're up to Emma Thompson, who was at talking at an Extinction Rebellion event. Celebrity gossip with Peter Gregory. <laughs> Greatest league spinner of all time. Uh, doing, so where are we up to? Yeah, Extinction Hugh Rebellion. Hugh Grant or Shane Warne? Shane Warne, mate. Shane Warne, just a fat ranger from Mentone, and he took on the world. Anyway, uh, now, Emma Thompson was at an Extinction Rebellion event doing the normal thing about how there's going to be heaps more extreme weather as a result of climate change, and she said this. Frequency and intensity of extremes. Better wrap up warm, stockpile food, and remember that there's a surprising amount of protein in the average household pet. So those people glue themselves to the street. Yeah, they they glue themselves to the street. They smear feces on restaurant walls, Mm -hmm. and now they want a cookie puppy. Yes. And they, the and, Holy I, Trinity. and I don't understand how these people can't win one of the climate elections that pops up every three weeks. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, for my thing is like we're, we're media men. We survey the media. I think we are uh, news hounds. I'm uh, mental. 
And uh, you can't sell the same paper each day. Like you can't. Good point. You can't uh, just keep saying the same old predictions in case like people just start to zone out. What did you tell me when we started the podcast? <laughs> eventually, you've just got to go. Puppies are going to die. Yeah. Just to get people out on the street. And she was right. Like we're uh, talking about it. The other part of it is like Emma Thompson has come under fire before for turning up to climate extinction rallies by jetting from Los Angeles to London. Mm, yeah, and I just want to highlight this quote. Uh, and this this is the return of the Q and A clap. This could be it right here. I may well be hypocritical by flying but I'm conscious of flying. So I fly much less, but sometimes I have to when I'm working, but I'll continue to find ways to get to places without flying. Can I, I just, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, All right, that is it for the show this week. Thank you to Adam Schleck. Thank you to Michaela Peterson. And thank you to Maz Gaderi. Uh, big, big guest next week. Possibly the biggest guest we've ever, ever had. Looking forward to it. All right, uh, see you guys next week. Thanks all. See ya. <laughs>